Uh, please turn with me to the book of Exodus. I'll be reading from chapters 5, 7, and 10. You can also follow along on page 7 of your bulletin. From 5, verse 2. Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. From 7, verses 14 to 18. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is unyielding. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he goes out to the water. Wait on the bank of the Nile to meet him, and take in your hand the staff that was changed into a snake. Then say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has sent me to say to you, Let my people go, so that they may worship me in the desert. But until now you have not listened. This is what the Lord says, By this you will know that I am the Lord. With the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water of the Nile, and it will be changed into blood. The fish in the Nile will die, and the river will stink. The Egyptians will not be able to drink its water. From 10 verses 21 to 29. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward the sky, so that darkness will spread over Egypt, darkness that can be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward the sky, and total darkness covered all Egypt for three days. No one could see anyone else or leave his place for three days. Yet all the Israelites had light in the places where they lived. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and said, Go worship the Lord. Even your women and children may go with you. Only leave your flocks and herds behind. But Moses said, You must allow us to have sacrifices and burnt offerings to present to the Lord our God. Our livestock too must go with us. Not a hoof is to be left behind. We have to use some of them in worshiping the Lord our God, and until we get there, we will not know what we are to use to worship the Lord. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he was not willing to let them go. Pharaoh said to Moses, Get out of my sight. Make sure you do not appear before me again. The day you see my face, you will die. Just as you say, Moses replied, I will never appear before you again. This is the word of God. <clears throat> for the last, uh, if you're new or visiting, for the last uh, several months, uh, we've been looking at passages in the Old Testament that often turn people away from the church, turn people away from Jesus, um, because they're confusing and they're disturbing. What do these passages mean? What, what are they about? Today we're going to start looking at the, the life of Moses uh, in the book of Exodus. And we come to a very, very famous narrative. You've seen it in movies, you've seen it in images, maybe even read about it, studied about it. But it's, it's challenging. It's challenging because, I mean, what's the meaning of the plagues? I mean, did God really send plagues to punish and, and demolish Egypt? We need to look into this. We need, to, we need to, to find some answers about this. First, I'm going to give you a little bit of a background. You know, Moses, he was raised in royalty in Egypt. Egypt at that time was the most powerful empire in the world to date. And uh, when he was younger, though, he t uh, his life took a little bit of a detour, a huge detour, actually, in life, because he committed a capital crime. And so now he's in the desert. He's in the wilderness. But in the desert, in the wilderness, he encounters the real God. And God sends Moses to Pharaoh, to the Pharaoh, he's the king of Egypt, and he sends him with a message, let my people go. It doesn't just end there. He doesn't just say, let them free so they can do whatever they want. Let my people go that they might worship me, that they might worship me in the desert. The first time Pharaoh hears this message, we just read it, is chapter 5, verse 2. 
He responds and he says, who is the Lord that I should obey him? Who is the Lord that I should obey him? And, and that's what triggers the next several chapters, the 10 plagues, chapters 5 through 10. The plagues answer that question. Who is the Lord that I should obey him? Why should we obey God? And here we see three reasons why. One, because he's singular. There's none like him. Two, because he's superior. He's our creator. He is the king. Lastly, because he's our savior. He's our deliverer, our redeemer. He's singular, he's superior, and he's our savior. First, we're going to look at God as singular. When the Pharaoh says, who is the Lord that I should obey him? Who is the Lord that I should obey him? He's not saying that because he's an atheist. It's, he's saying that because the Pharaoh, he lived in a culture that believed in many gods, hundreds of gods. And what he's saying is, I get it. You have your understanding of God. You have your gods. I have my gods. In other words, there are a lot of people today who often say, well, who are you to impose your gods on me? Who are you to impose your faith on my views? Who are you to impose your views on me? And so the first plague where Moses, he turns the Nile River into blood, he judges the Nile River, it's very carefully chosen. Why? Because the Nile River to the Egyptians, the Nile River to the Pharaoh was a god. He's a source of life. The Nile River was treated as the source of life, the centerpiece of Egypt's commerce and all their food. They worship the Nile. So what does God do? He turns the Nile River to blood. What that means is judgment, death. And, and basically, and no one could drink from it. That second to the last plague, these are the bookends. The second to the last plague, there's total darkness. Why? Because the sun and the moon, they were gods. The great Osiris and Isis, legends and tales told and written, even in those ancient times leading up to the Egyptian empire, the sun and the moon, they were gods, chasing after each other, essentially. What does God do? He makes them go dark. And in chapter 7, verse 17, God says, by this they will know that I am the Lord. I'm the God above all these gods. In chapter 9, right before the hailstorm, God says that they may know that there is none like me in all the earth. What he's saying is, you have your God and I have mine? No way. There is none like me. I am singular. I'm unique. I'm Lord. There's none like me in all the earth. I'm more real than any view, any picture, any image of God that you have. I get it. This is why you need to obey. But we don't obey, you see. What are their voices? What are their desires? Have you? What credibility do those other gods and voices and images do they have? The second point is, it's because he's superior. And because he's superior, that makes him king. One of the things that people notice when studying this narrative is that the plagues, at first glance, they're very dramatic. I mean, you see them in movies, very, very dramatic. But in another sense, they're not really that special. Let me explain this to you. If you look at the example of the first plague, the Nile River turning to blood, no one could drink the not from the Nile. There are a lot of liberal commentators as well as conservative scholars that debate what actually happened. But no matter what, they all agree that the ecosystem of the Nile was completely demolished. It was completely destroyed. 
There's an Old Testament scholar, Robert, uh, Reginald Allen Cole. Uh, he, he says this, most of these plagues, we know that the ecosystem of the Nile was destroyed. Most of the plagues really came from that first plague. So the first plague, the Nile River becomes completely uninhabitable. And so you have the frogs, they jump out of the river. And what happens? They're out of the river, they're out of water, they die. That's the second plague. Now, because of the first plague, you have the second plague. And as a result of the second plague, you have the third and fourth plagues. What do you see in the third and fourth plagues? Because the frogs are dead, these rotten frogs, they lead to the gnats and the flies. They're all over. It's all over the country. These are all natural consequences, not too unfamiliar to us. We know that this is what happens. This is what happens. This is a result of ecological disaster or environmental disaster, maybe even in your home. Then because of the gnats and because of the flies, now there's epidemics. There's a public health crisis that erupts pretty much and, and reverberates throughout the country. It destroys all the livestock. And because it destroys all the livestock, that's the fifth plague, now you have disease, skin disease, boils. Then God sends the hailstorm, but he makes a comment before that. Then he sends the locusts. Then he sends darkness, seven, eight, and nine. These are all natural things. Most of them are consequences that have cascaded from the first plague. Now, if the purpose of all this was to bring Pharaoh to his knees, these aren't amazing enough to do that in a sense. If the purpose was to bring Pharaoh to his knees, Moses, what he could have done is he could have entered into his palace, zapped a bunch of his guards in the palace, turned to Pharaoh and says, you're next unless you come down and to your knees. But he doesn't do that. In fact, he doesn't even really come to the Pharaoh until the latter half, towards the end of the plagues. You see that? And the reason is because the plagues, they have a message associated with them. What's the message? Scholars have noted this for decades. The disasters in Exodus chapter 5 all the way through 10 are an undoing of what happened at creation in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. In Genesis chapters 1 and 2, God takes these same things, water, sun, moon, land, animals, creation. He doesn't just create them. What he does is he integrates them into a coherent body, into a coherent whole. Nature, we're talking about creation, becomes ordered. They're not just loose. He governs and sustains. The Bible talks about God as our governor, Christ as our governor and our sustainer of the entire universe. And so what he does is as he creates nature, he orders creation. He breaks them whole and he turns them into one. Everything is in working order. Everything is characterized by beauty, characterized by flourishing and thriving. You see that? Everything is characterized by order. And the first command uttered by God to begin the whole thing is what? Let there be light. Let there be light. But here, what do you see? Nature is completely out of control. Nature is just breaking down. One thing cascading into the next. Disaster out of disaster after disaster. Nature is just out of control, eating itself, reverberating all the way through the country. It's reverting and rolling backwards into chaos. So this is order and creation becoming undone and decreated until you go all the way up to the ninth plague. What happens in the ninth plague? Nature rolls all the way back to the beginning of the first part of Genesis chapter 1. What do you see? Darkness. Total darkness. In Genesis chapter 1, the earth was without form and void. Ultimate chaos. And what? There was darkness over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God, supreme, superior, hovering 
over that which is uncontrollable, hovering over that which is in total chaos. You see that? Water represents chaos in the Bible. Water represents the unknown. Water represents uncertainty. In the beginning, there was darkness and water, darkness and chaos. And the Spirit of God is hovering over that. This is the singularity of God matched with the supremacy of God, the superiority of God in the chaos, in the darkness. He's not absent from the darkness. He's not just kind of agnostic from the darkness. He's actually in the darkness, in the chaos, in control, total control, total poise. Life without the presence of God is what? Chaos, uncertainty. Are you living uncertainty? Your life chaotic? Anxious, depressed. Every day is just a rolling back further away from the life that you understand. You say, this is what life is. This is what flourishing is. And yet you feel like life is rolling back. The plagues are meant to demonstrate life without the presence of God. Because when the spirit of God is present in your life, what do you see? There's light. There's order. The lesson from the plagues is this. God is saying, my power, my word, at my just very word, there was light. My power, my word, my law, my authority, it's critical. It's not just something that's a supplement to life. It is vital to your life. Everything I tell you to do to teach you how to live, it's to teach you how to live in accordance with the way life and the world was intended and as designed so that every time you disobey, your experience a natural consequence. That's what naturally happens when you are apart from God. You're experiencing the natural consequence. It's not because it's unnatural. Oh my God, this is so weird, we say. This is so difficult and so heavy, and and I I feel like I'm outside of myself. No, actually, what what you're living out is what happens when you live outside of your design. Like when you take a fish out of water, the body is just imploding. That's what's happening. The consequence is disorder. The chaos that you experience is not unnatural. It's actually natural because of our sin. Life just starts to roll back and cascade into disorder, roll back into chaos. Imagine in creation, God says, let there be light, and the sun and the moon says, nah, I'm going to hang back here. I'm not going to really do that, right? What's the result? Darkness, total darkness, chaos. And through the plays, God is saying, you know, you think you're king. He's looking at the Pharaoh, but uh, friends, this is a message to us. You think you're a king because you have a home? That's your palace? You think you're a king because you want people, you're working and striving because you want people ultimately to call you a director or an owner. You want people to call you uh, a father. You deserve that kind of respect so that you have power. You think you're talented. You think you're creative. You can exploit those gifts. Why? Because ultimately we're worshiping money, wealth, and power, and beauty the way people worship the Nile and the sun and the moon. Who is the Lord that I should obey? Was Pharaoh's question. And the Lord's answer, God's answer through the plagues is, I am the king. I am your king. I am your owner. I am your governor. I am your sustainer. Nothing that you think you own can even last a single incident, a single moment, unless I let it happen. 
I am the sustainer and the governor and the creator. I am power. You want power? I am power. You want beauty? I am the beauty and the brilliance. You want wealth? No matter what you have, you are nothing without me. Who gave you your job? Who gave you your bank account? Who gave you your looks and your figures and your physique, your bodies? Who gave you your brain? Who gave you your friends and your relationships? Who gave you your children? What have you done with your job? What have you done with your wealth? What have you done with your, your looks and your intelligence? What have you done with your relationships and your homes? What have you done with your families? What have you done in your neighborhoods and with your neighborhoods? But to claim autonomy in your life and to distance yourself from God, only to see the unleashing of natural consequences that lead you towards a rollback into chaos and disorder. Natural selection, right, we say. Large things eating small things. Things reverting back to just breaking down and eating each other. Absolute disorder because ultimately we have violated our design. There are people in this room right now, they know this. You've grown up in the church, you know this. You know this. You, you may be experiencing it right now to some degree. We're all experiencing some form of entropy and decay in our lives right now. You're going through the ringer, some of us, and you're anxious and you're depressed and you're lost, but you're just looking for a way to avert that chaos on your own, and you can't. That's the point of the plagues. You can't. And it's not supernatural. It's not because there are ghosts and, and things like that. It's because it's just natural decline, natural decay, natural entropic forces that have been unleashed because we are, our lives are just rolling into misery. Or maybe you think, oh, this will pass. This too will pass. We'll say, it's not. It won't pass until there's total darkness, until your life eventually bursts into total darkness forever. You think you can avert it, avert it because you believe that you are still king. That's the message of the plagues, and you're not. You see, an example, you go to the doctor, and the doctor tells you, look, I've done, the, I've done your, I've looked at your vitals. I've looked at your stats. We've, we've done your blood test, and what's come back is you really got to stop eating fatty foods you really have to cut out sugars because you are on the brink of complete decay. You gotta cut out the spicy foods, you gotta cut out you know, all that steak eating, you gotta cut all that out. You need to run more, you need to exercise more, it's gonna take work. You need to stop overworking in the office and you need to start taking better care of yourself. You need to decrease your stress. And when you hear that, it hurts because all of a sudden you see rules and you see things that you can't do and things that now you have to do just to stay alive. You don't like it. But what do you say to the doctor? Do you say to the doctor, well, who are you to tell me how I should live? I don't believe in you. Is that what you say? It's important to listen to the doctor. Why? Because he's an authority in understanding how you were designed, you see? And if you don't honor that, if you don't respect your design, you're not going to thrive. In fact, you won't live. You're not going to jail. No one's going to 
put you in handcuffs and take you away if you disobey the doctor. But if you don't stop eating fatty foods, if you don't stop, if you don't cut out the sugars, if you don't stop the spicy foods, if you don't stop the steaks over and excessively, and you don't exercise or manage your work or manage your stress, manage your relationships, you know what happens? Your life, your body starts to unravel and implode into chaos. Maybe it begins with just weight gain, high cholesterol, or maybe you're just sluggish, you're lethargic, but if you continue to dishonor how you're designed, anxiety results, depression, then there's chronic pain. You won't survive. Your life ends in darkness. What was once integrated and whole as a body starts to become disintegrated, you see? It's all because you dishonored an authority an authority according to your design. But you see, God's not just an authority. He is the author. He is the creator. And he's speaking to you not simply as a king saying, I'm commanding you to do this because I'm more powerful than you. That's not what God is doing. God's commands to his people reflect how we were created. And so he's speaking to you like a father would speak to you. He's speaking to you the way a shepherd would speak to you and caring for you. And he begins, he says, you you cannot have any other gods before me. You cannot listen to any other voices. You cannot listen to any other masters. In other words, you can't just come to church occasionally on your own terms, and say, well, you know, I believe in God. That's enough, right? You know, God's got his place in my life, but I got all these other things in my life. You can't say that. God's saying, I better be more important than your family. I better be more important than your job and your career. I better be more important than your retirement portfolio. That's what he's saying. And if you put anything, anything above your relationship with me, there will be misery because that's not how you were designed, and you will start to experience the rollback into cosmic disintegration. If you make your work more important than God, you're gonna overwork. You're gonna be just run but ruled by fear in the office. Everything you do, every decision you make is really just gonna be an act and performance because you're on this treadmill just just trying to perform and meet up to expectations and you're gonna overwork for years. You know what's gonna happen? Your family is gonna start to disintegrate. Your marriage may start to disintegrate. Your children will hate you. And you're gonna tell yourself, well, I'm sacrificing. I'm doing all this for you when in reality, you're doing it for you. And then something starts to threaten your career, and that's just devastating because you poured your life into this, you see? You poured your life into your career, and now something, just one thing, I mean, just something happens to threaten your career, and so now there's anxiety, and there's depression, and there's restlessness, and there's emotional disintegration, and you're fatigued, and you're angry, and you're overworking until soon there's physical disintegration. Just like Egypt, you're experiencing the cascading consequences of the plagues, the chaos, the misery, the pain, the darkness. The Bible says the world is falling into a decay. The world is falling into disintegration. The world is falling into entropy. So the rollback is happening across the board and it's happening everywhere. And it's because we're like the Pharaoh. Ever since the days of the Garden of Eden, we have chosen to listen to something else apart from God. We've been looking for power somewhere else instead of looking to God as power. We're looking for beauty somewhere else instead of looking at God as the ultimate brilliance. We're looking for for, uh, wealth and richness somewhere else apart from God when God is wealth. There's no richness apart from him. Nothing else will matter. You see that? 
And so what happens is we cry out for justice because there was once justice. And when we left God, when we left and went distant from God, now there's injustice. We were once free and now there's oppression. There was once coherence in our lives and in our world. Now there's incoherence. We could see and now we're blind. We could hear and now we're deaf. There was once integration in our lives, in our families, in our homes. Everything made sense, and now it's insanity. And there's incoherence and disintegration. But the gospel reverses all of that. See, some of it's relational. You need to forgive. You need to be forgiven. Some of it is social. You need to be generous. You need to receive. Some of it's political. We need to be civil. Otherwise, God's saying, if you disobey, creation will begin to deconstruct you. And where there was once order, there will now be entropy and life will fall apart. What can save? Who can save? The interesting thing about the plagues, the scholars note that God's still holding back. I mean, God could have done a lot more, but he actually holds back. Because if God just wanted to hammer the Pharaoh, if he wanted to hammer Egypt, if he wanted vengeance, then why in chapter 9, all the way towards the end, before the hailstorm plague, then he sends Moses to the Pharaoh. And Moses actually warns Pharaoh. You know how he starts off? He says, I want you to take the cattle, take them in. Get your farmhands out of the field. I'm warning you right now, it's going to be bad. It's going to be pretty bad. It's going to get rocky around here. You're going to get hurt. Why would God, does that sound like vengeance to you? All the way at the end, does that sound like an ego trip to you? What's the purpose of the plagues then? And here's the answer. The only saving, only a saving God, only a redeeming God, only a judge, but a compassionate judge can do that. The point of the plagues is this. It was actually to save. Now, you're thinking, well, how is this to save? First, it was to save his people, God's people the Hebrews, the, the, the Israelites, to save them, to redeem them from oppression and slavery through judgment. Through the judgment of the plagues in Egypt, the, God's people were redeemed. They were free. But second, there's this place in chapter 9 where God says to Pharaoh, right in the midst of everything, God actually says to the Pharaoh, by now I could have stretched out my hand and I could have struck you and the people with a plague that would have wiped you off the face of the earth but I raised you up for this very purpose that I may show you my power and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. What does that mean? What Moses is saying to Pharaoh is that this narrative of the 10 plagues actually is going to go into a much larger narrative that he says this very purpose, that this story will be hidden inside a much larger story that will be told forever because this smaller story of salvation, you're going to learn who God is. The Egyptians and the Pharaoh will learn who God is, will be brought into a much larger story of salvation. The rest of the Bible will, will do that. And we come to see, we just heard, right, how hard-hearted, how hard-hearted Pharaohs we are, the Pharaoh. We are hard-hearted. We start to see that we are the ones who are enslaved like the Israelites. But you can be free. 
And even up near to the end, God comes to us and says, this is an opportunity for you to end the rolling back. This is an opportunity for you to end the darkness. And so the plagues were really designed to wake up Pharaoh, to wake up Egypt, to wake everyone up. There's this place at the end of chapter 9 where it says that towards the end, the Pharaoh and the officials actually started to fear the Lord. They start to fear the word of the Lord, and they start to relent. They said, enough, enough. They were waking up. In other words, God's approach to judgment is not salvation or judgment, but salvation through judgment, salvation through the plagues. The plagues, it's God's judgment in order to save. That's why there's no one like God. He's not disproportionately vengeful. There's no one like God. He's so consistently like that. Genesis chapter 1, darkness came before God creates the sun and the moon. And here, as we approach the final plague, the sun and the moon are now muted. They are darkened. Darkness covers the entire land. It's the ultimate sign that sin deconstructs. It's the ultimate sign of that rollback, devolving and destroying, going against your design. Here's what happens. It's total and utter and complete darkness. But centuries later, there was another darkness. Jesus Christ comes not to bring the judgment of God, but to bear the judgment of God. And so instead of the plagues, you know what he brings? Miracles. Uh, What happens is, what are miracles? Miracles, if you think about it, if you look at the miracles of Jesus, if you just look at every miracle that Jesus ever performed, all of them intentional, but not, you know, we look at that as children and we say, wow, such displays of his power. But if you actually look at the miracles, none of them were very cosmic. None of them were very supernatural. All of them, and they were merely restorations of order. There's something broken and Jesus restores it. There's chaos here and Jesus restores, restores order to the chaos. That's really what's going on. So whereas the plagues brought chaos, whereas the plagues brought disorder to to nature, the miracles of Jesus reversed the chaos and restored order, restored life. So that now things are operating in accordance with their intended design. All throughout the life of Jesus, he was doing that until you get to the greatest miracle. Matthew chapter 27, the greatest miracle from the sixth hour until the ninth hour. What do you see? Darkness. That's God trying to wake you up. Until the ninth hour, darkness came over all the land. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cries out in a loud voice, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And and the text goes on to say that the earth shook and the rocks split. The holy temple curtain had torn in two from top to bottom. There was total darkness. There was an earthquake. What was going on? You're seeing the rollback. On the cross, Jesus Christ alone facing the wrath of God, facing the judgment of God, and there, God does not hold back. And so he doesn't hold back. There's an earthquake. The rocks are splitting. The temple curtain is tearing in two. There is darkness, complete darkness covering the land. And yet, on the cross, all the plagues of judgment and justice and the wrath of God and the power of God falls on Jesus just pelting Jesus. And there Jesus is saying, more, 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 give it all to me. He's taking it all. 
And there was complete darkness on the outside all the while Jesus was experiencing the ultimate chaos and the ultimate disorder and the ultimate disintegration. His body was falling apart. His body was disintegrating. His joints, everything was falling apart. And yet, because he was cut off from God, he was disintegrated from God. And so when he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What he's saying is now I'm experiencing the ultimate darkness on the inside. I'm experiencing hell, separation, complete separation from God on the inside. I'm experiencing the ultimate chaos and rollback and disorder. My body on one hand is being ripped apart, but I'm experiencing the total disintegration from God, which means that my soul is just imploding. You see that? The Trinity, the ultimate representation of coherence, is now experiencing a form of disintegration. And Jesus Christ on the cross is crying out, I'm experiencing the ultimate disarray, the ultimate disintegration, the ultimate incoherence. Why? The first plagues from the first exodus represented freedom from slavery, freedom from slavery in Egypt. But Jesus Christ accomplishes the ultimate exodus the ultimate redemption, and through his judgment, through his pain, through his suffering, we are free. We are saved. We have life. Salvation not or judgment, but salvation through judgment. The creator of the world, suffering the disintegration of decreation. The creator of the world, suffering death for you. The one who gives life, is suffering death for you. The maker is becoming unmade for you on the cross. Jesus Christ received the ultimate chaos and the ultimate rollback of our sin into darkness so that we would receive life so that there can be light in us. Every other religion, every other voice, every other image that you could possibly follow will say you gotta work at it, you gotta grind, you got to keep trying. You got to earn this. You got to take it for yourself. That's the other gods. That's, that's the, the other um, voices. And that's what's leading us into the disintegration. That's what's leading us into the rollback. That's what's leading us into the darkness. That's what's leading us into anxiety and uncertainty and depression. The gospel teaches you can't stop the rollback of sin on your own. So, so, but thanks be to God, you can, it doesn't depend on your work, it depends on Christ's work. You can't, I mean, you're in the fight, you're in it, and you can fight against it, but it doesn't depend on your fight. It depends on Jesus' victory. It doesn't depend on what you accomplished, which is why we are so obsessed with building our resumes. It depends on what Christ accomplished on the cross for us. When you disobey, you're not just breaking rules. You're not breaking God's rules. It's so much more than that. There is this intimate relationship that God desires with his children. And so you're breaking his heart. God loves his people, sent Jesus to die for his people, and so that he could save us. Trust in him. Don't just trust, don't just believe in him, believe him. Believe his word, trust in him, return to him. Let the gospel soften your heart. Don't be like the Pharaoh. Let the gospel soften your heart no matter where you are, no matter what stage of the plagues you are in, no matter what place in the rollback you may be experiencing. 
even if you're in total darkness, God is present, in control, supreme. And he can be intimate with you, reconciled to you, even now. Then you will experience the joy of obedience. Let's pray together.